now, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Hello, people. I want to welcome you guys to tonight's edition of Bible News Radio. Hey, I hope that you are having an awesome day. Was that up or down? Down. <laughs> there we go. All right. Hello, people. Hope you're doing okay. Tonight, we actually have some very unsettling news for you. Yeah, we do. And because I love America, people, I'm here to boldly proclaim it. Yeah, I am. <clears throat> hey, Stephen, I see you. You know why? Because the news that we're going to share tonight, if you don't think the homosexual lobby has gotten into the claws of kids today, if you're like me, let's just say the Bible says to be angry and sin not, right? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> yeah, it does. So, do me a favor, share this out if you don't mind, and uh, and we'll get started. Yeah, we will. <laughs> well, what kind of are? I know this is this isn't this song great. You know, it's like Michael W. Smith's song. There we go. It's just so patriotic, people. Yeah, it is. I love this song. I really do. It's like one of my favorite songs ever. There's no lyrics, but, you know. Okay. Those of guys, those of you who, who know, this this used to be Janet Parcel's opening theme song. Just so you know, <laughs> uh, many many years ago. All right, okay, here we go. Okay, <clears throat> all right. Pardon us just for a second here. Randall and I just got home from church. Yeah, we did. We went to church on Sunday night. It was a great message, by the way. I have to tell you, I have a great pastor. And his wife, they are, they are the real deal people. And you can't get much more Christian than a pastor by the name of J.C. Christian. I'm just saying. <laughs> Tonight, you know, he, he, uh, he is actually, he, he, um, was 
you're talking about um, uh, Revelation chapter um, 2, because in the evening service, he's gone, he's actually going through the book of Revelation, and and he was talking about how, you know, Jesus commended the church at Ephesus, but he also can, you know, he also corrected them, um, and he gave, you know, he gave them some tips and stuff, and, and so one of the things that, you know, I was thinking about was, and it was funny, because I was thinking about even before I heard the message tonight, was about, <clears throat> have you, like, have you left your first love, you know? And one of the things my pastor said tonight was, you know, do you, do you love the Lord more now than when you first met him? Do you remember where you were when you met Christ and how exciting you were, how exciting, how excited you were about Christ? Um, and, you know, and of course he, he compared it to like marriage, you know, like, like me and Bareface. By the way, speaking of Bareface, <laughs> last night, uh, we, we did our show and here's the thing. Um, we played, ah, well, if you sing I'll it, it's probably going to get flagged. I uh, know. Well, anyway, we played this by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Of course, the song we opened up with tonight is probably not going to be available. Uh, well, well, here's, here's the weird thing about YouTube. So anyway, so almost every time I play a song from YouTube, you know, I get notified that, you know, it's copyright, blah, blah, whatever. And they, they don't strike your account or anything. You just don't, you just can't monetize the video. Well, I'm not monetizing the show anyway on YouTube. First of all, I can't because I need to have a thousand subscribers. So I don't care. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Anybody that's going to, you know, uh, donate to us will donate to us through a different venue. Well, um, so last night's show, we opened it up with, with that song. And then it said that, that the show is only available in certain countries. Well... Okay, that's nice. Isn't that nice? It's special, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> so Randall's, he took the song out. We're going to re-upload it. Meanwhile, though, I got some, some of Doug Hagman's followers coming over and attacking us, you know, accusing me of stuff I actually didn't do and, and reporting our videos here. And, and, you know, and I'm just like, there's the fruit of the Holy Spirit for you. You're, you're really manifesting the fruit of the Holy Spirit, aren't you? Yeah, just so you know, let me just tell you some of just if you're a newbie to the show. One thing you need to know about me is that I turned my sexual abuse perpetrator into the police when I was 13 years old. So your stupid cyber bullying or other threats won't go very far with me. I'm not easily intimidated and uh, I've been doing this for a long time so you can keep your BS to yourself and you can just understand that if you don't like what I have to say or my perspective, you could click the off button and go somewhere else. I don't really care. People who know me and know this show, how long it's been on, know that I'm here for a reason and I don't fit into the cracker barrel conspiracy theory box of most of the other people out there. Just saying people. If I did, I would probably have a lot more thousands of people tuning in because a lot of what they talk about is bullshit. And I don't mean to be so blunt, but yeah, I actually do because it is. And, you know, I'm sorry, but it is. <laughs> it is. You cannot find Jesus Christ in so much Christian media. And I'm here to say, if you don't like it, if you don't like how I present things and what I stand for, then you can, don't let the door hit you. 
Just saying, you know, see ya. You know, I mean, I, I was raised with a tough mother, not a Christian. <laughs> you know, I don't have to put up with it. You know, I choose to let foolishness show itself. But don't, don't mistake my kindness for stupidity or weakness by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, that's just a warning. All right. <clears throat> so I will say, sorry, people you, that, you know, <laughs> there's those of you who know me, you love me for it. But I will say that, you know, it, it really does go back to uh, the issue that we were talking about a couple of days ago. Where is the fruit? What fruit is the result? What fruit is coming as a result of what you're doing? You know, and frankly, I'm just going to be honest. I get so sick and tired of these showmen who aren't showing you anything and everything's from an anonymous resource and blah, 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 blah. Well, you know what? Hey, oh, wait, I should put up a picture of this. I found it on the floor earlier. I wonder what it can mean. I wonder if it means something like Somebody, somebody, <laughs> somebody planted it in my house. I mean, give me a break, you guys. Think. Use your stinking brains. I mean, I know it's hard sometimes because the media has so dumbed down people and so has so much of the so-called church. You know, it's pablum. You know, it's like we got to think, 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 you know, not just feel. And yes, it's okay to feel. We should feel stuff. But you got to think, too. And this is what really drives me crazy. I've been tracking the 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 LBG the the gay lobby. I don't know, fifteen years at least, probably longer, um, but publicly at least that long. I've gone to the Glisten Conference, Gay Lesbian Straight Education Network. I've actually uh, gone into counseling conferences run by lesbians and homosexuals and transgender confused people. Um, I have seen a lot of different things, even things I've never talked about on our show, you know, because, you know, some of it's just not prudent. And I will say that one lesson I did learn from a, another female broadcaster many years ago, and I took it to heart and I thought, you know, she's right. I need to, you know, use some um, prudence, you know. Not everything that happens do, do we need to, like, lay it out there. But 15 years ago, when I went in and I got this info and actually passed it on to Janet Parshall at that time, um, is not today. And if you go back to the archives here on our YouTube channel in particular, if you go to the Marketing of Homosexuality to America and look at the, the series that I did there on the book written by two homosexual activists called After the Ball, Okay, it's called After the Ball, but I, I named the, the series here on, on YouTube, The Marketing of Homosexuality to America. If you look through that, if you actually watch, take the time to watch that seven hours, almost eight hours of what I did, what you will find is exactly what this story, which will tick a normal person off because they have done it. Just like last night, we were talking about how the American Psychological Association ha has Division 44, which kind of reminds me of Disney's Club 44. I wonder if there's something about the number 44. But anyway. You, you might be thinking about um, uh, Club 33. Club 33. 
Just ignore me then, that last part. <laughs> did you say something? I did. <laughs> you know, it's so hard to sound authoritative when you correct me in the middle of it. <laughs> I knew what you meant, though. Yes, Club 33. Well, forget that part. Just nix that part. I have an on-air corrector, well, it, and that's it, good. It's, I'm it's <laughs> double digits. I'm the fact checker. and uh... <laughs> You keep me in line. That's but, for sure. But certainly, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, it might have created more mystery. Yeah. Club 44, and people be <laughs> scouring the web trying to figure out what the Disney Club 44 <laughs> is. And, and maybe maybe it was a word of knowledge that there really is something that is super secret. Um, My point is that when I make a mistake, I admit it. That's one point. But my point is is that the APA, you know, and I was talking to my friend Jennifer, who is a psychologist today. She didn't even know about this. They are advocating um, basically the the idea that, you know, you should have open marriages and, and promote swinging and polyamory and, and stuff like that. Did I say it right? Is that yes. like a firework? Yes. Somebody... C- consensual non-monogamous something. Yeah. Laughing something it. stupid like that. But yeah, anyway. Euphemism. So listen to this, though. Okay, so in in the book, After the Ball... Uh, we actually read and we showed you, this book was written a long time ago in the 90s, mid-80s, I think, um, that their goal was, first of all, to promote homosexuality and the image, like, hey, the guy next door, you know, blah, blah. And then, and they intentionally said in this book that they would not put drag queens in, they wouldn't do anything like that. Well, now, fast forward a million years, almost. And Mass Resistance has this horrific story, but you guys need to see it. So, it's titled Drag Queen, that's in quotes, in Maryland, library, exposed by Mass Resistance. He runs lurid, sex-oriented businesses, posts pornographic photos of nude men on social media. He reads stories to children at June 23rd Drag Queen Story Hour event. Angry parents, led by Maryland Mass Resistance Mother, confront county commission at the meeting. You can see the video. Do something now, parents demand. Local politicians are backpedaling. Now, um, there are some very disturbing images, I believe. You'll probably see in a minute. Um, But I'm going to read you the article. It says here, Angry local parents at Lexington Park, Maryland led by a Mass Resistance Maryland mother. And by the way, if you don't know the background of Mass Resistance, Mass Resistance actually was founded by Brian Kamaker, who is a Jewish man uh, who who has really single-handedly exposed so much of this stuff. Anyway, Maryland mother uh, stormed their local county commission meeting on Tuesday evening, July 9th, with strongly worded outrage testimony. They demanded that the officials deal with the horror at their local public library. A Drag Queen Story Hour comes to town. On June 23rd, a Drag Queen Story Hour took place at the nearby Lexington Park Public Library where homosexual men dressed as garish, or is that garish? Garish? Women. I call it garish. Garish. Huh. What do you know? Bareface couldn't like quickly correct me on that one, people. I guess he didn't know the word after all. Did you, Bareface? (laughs) Whatever. Whatever. Anyway, um, anyway, men dressed, homosexual men dressed as garish women 
uh, read LGBT affirming storybooks to young children ages three to eight. They also conducted a drag queen makeup tutorial for tweens and teens, children nine to 19 years old. Their stated goal, to capture their imagination and give kids positive and unabashedly queer role models. Yeah, because that's what we all want. The event at the public library was organized by, get this, you're going to love this, by the Southern Maryland Area Secular Humanist People. Yeah, they, a radical anti-family atheist group that often targets young people with sexuality events and the P-Flag, a national LGBT group targeting youth. The public is repeatedly told that drag queens are role models for children and have important lessons to teach young people. Um, the advertisement, um, then, and then it shows the advertisement. And then, uh, and then there's a sign, Men in Dresses Telling Stories is the Foundation of Christianity. A mockery, right? They're, that's that's what they're they're holding here. Parents wonder just who were these drag queens who would be reading to the children on June 23rd, but both the library staff and the event organizers steadfastly refused to tell the public. It was very upsetting for parents, but a few days after the event, a local newspaper article revealed their stage names, and later the drag queens bragged about their quote performance on social media. And um, so this person named Stormy Vane uh, wrote, I had such an amazing time doing drag, drag storytelling in Lexington Park, Maryland on Sunday. The parents and children were amazing. Acceptance was felt throughout the whole event. And my assistant, Angelique, was great help. Okay. And it, there, yeah, there you go. You can see that, that horrific picture there. At that point, Georgia... Kajeski, a local Maryland mass resistance mother of four young children, contacted Tracy Shannon, head of Houston Mass Resistance and an expert researcher. Tracy earlier exposed the sex offenders involved in the Drag Queen Story Hour in Houston, Texas Library. And the reports are linked, like you can see right there, where it says here and here. A horrible discovery. It became clear why the Maryland event organizers wanted to keep this drag queen's identity hidden. What Tracy discovered was truly frightening. Tracy found that one of the drag, drag queens, Stormy Bain, real name Todd Music, is involved with numerous lurid and pornographic sexual businesses and activities. He runs Stormy's Angels of Entertainment and <clears throat> Eroticacy. Among his business offerings, male escorts, companions, nude maid services, sex toys, hiring out strippers for parties and one-on-one -on -one sessions, nude maintenance service, nude personal trainer, nude hairstyling, X-rated candies, and much more. On his website, which is now offline, he offered male companions under a tab that warned nudity must be over 18 to view. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't he just so beautiful? Gosh, you guys. I mean, isn't this the epitome of... What the hell? I mean, seriously, look what a... He's so ugly. I mean, look at that ugliness. That is... That's the devil, okay? As a woman. He'd probably make a handsome man, but... He needs to be behind bars. On... Uh, then it says here, our Houston mass resistance activist created a 70-page expose on Stormy Bain. He sent a 45-page version of that to the local elected officials and also the news media. 
But that report is so graphic and disgusting that for the first time ever, we've had to create a separate version for our readers. It's still pretty bad. You can read it there, okay? I'm not going to show it to you. If you want to go over to massresistance.org, you can, you can look this up. But what really gets me, you know, you guys, okay, you see this? Okay, you see that? Oh, it's over there. I mean, yeah. <sighs> so, <clears throat> goes on to say here, this is the person that the library staff and the organizers believed was perfectly appropriate to be working with young children and teenagers. They clearly knew that the public would be outraged if this were known prior to the event, so they kept his identity hidden. This, unfortunately, is a common problem across the country among with library staff these days, we have found. They are intentionally deceiving the public and acting as change agents. And, you know, I, can, I will proudly and boldly declare here, if this ever comes to Spring Hill, Tennessee, <laughs> it will, <laughs> I will be a mommy activist except not a mommy. And, uh, and I will make sure single-handedly, if I have to, that it will stop. I mean, it, it is un believable it goes on to say and i'm trying to see if there's actually um this picture and it actually isn't on here i'm just uh, trying to scroll down but it actually showed in in one of the lead stories up to this one and this is part of the oh this is part of the reason why i just am so outraged about this aside from the fact that you know it's just so blatantly wrong they showed one of these these creeps, these people, you know, in full garb with a child. They were on, okay, the person was on their back, and they had a little girl lying on top of them in the library on the man's genitals. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a little girl who was at one of these drag queen story time things and the man laid on the ground and asked for her to get the hell on top of him, I would kick that guy's butt. And that's not the word I want to use. <laughs> I would call the police and I would have that man escorted out the door. Especially if I wasn't told about it ahead of time. I mean... I don't know about you guys, but more men need to be involved in library story time. More normal men, straight men, men, godly men, you know, like Dr. or not Dr., but Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer, you know, <laughs> and my friend Stephen Black. Hey, you know, I mean, we we need men of God to start standing up and protecting women and children because these perverts, I mean, have you just... Just think about this, okay? What kind of man preys on little innocent children in a library dressed like a freak? What kind of man is that? Look, I know that they're made in God's image, right? I get it. But you know what? This is, this is you know, <laughs> yeah. And that's the other question, Denise. Where were the parents of these kids? Clearly, they, they, they support it on some level. Or maybe they just think it's fun. I mean, I have friends and I, that I recently found out uh, have people in this industry and they know them and they totally support it. And I'm like, I don't know what the heck is your issue with this. Do you not understand what the heck is going on here? You know? And those who who 
claim that they are Christians on top of it, I'm like, what Bible are you reading? Because it's certainly not the one I'm reading. You know, it's an orientation. Yeah, the APA is stupid. Anybody who believes the APA, you should, I mean, even my friend Jennifer <laughs> is not a member of the APA. I mean, you know, oh my gosh. So anyway, um, I'll just read a little bit more of this article. So it says here, later that same year, uh, Kajeski discovered a sexually explicit banned books display in the library through the clever marketing of the banned books, which aren't banned or they would not be in the library, kids are enticed to read sexually explicit and quite graphic children's books. One of the so-called banned books, which are more like instruction manuals, was The Little Black Book for Girls, a book on healthy sexuality. Another book was Two Boys Kissing. Tess uh, Goldwasser, a St. Mary's County Children's Librarian, actually wrote an article on the left-wing American Library Association. Oh, yeah, by the way, yeah. <laughs> I could do a whole show on that too. Um, website on how to be a secret librarian advocate operative and sneak in LGBT books and programs targeting young children. Yeah, if you think the library is your friend, first of all, it's not. Second of all, if it was, why would they be letting these perverts in there doing that with kids? It's 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 ridiculous. Anyway, do you want did you want to play any of these videos, Randall, or no? Mm. No. No. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm just going to go down and read this part. So it says here, near the end of the meeting, the head of the Southern Maryland area secular humanist spoke. She was the only one to defend the drag queen event. She ignored the lurid expose of him. Instead, she rattled off the, the usual absurd LGBT talking points. She referred to the parents as ignorant bigots and haters who want to help gay kids kill themselves. She added that drag queens have a First Amendment right to read to kids in the library, and if Christians don't like it, they should stay home because it's a popular program. It didn't seem to have much of an impact since everyone had heard it all before. So, uh, yeah. And, and, and I'm just... <laughs> yeah. So the question is, Bareface, what do you have to say about this story? Because, you know, I don't know about you, but but <clears throat> with Legal Shield, we just upgraded our identity theft protection service. In case you didn't know this, if by the way, if you happen to be a member and you haven't upgraded yet, um, you don't even have to upgrade to the new five dollar one to get this because they added it on to your current service. But there is now in there we monitor. Uh, within five miles of whatever address you put in, it will give you an updated list every single day of the sex uh, offenders in your area. Registered ones. Registered <laughs> ones, yeah. The registered ones, the ones stupid, and the ones that are stupid and got caught, which I'm glad they're stupid and got caught. Yeah. They've been convicted. You know, uh, a library is, is a public place. Typically, you know, a public library is, a, well, a public library is a public place because it's a yeah. public library. Right. And therefore, that doesn't mean that it entertains the the desires of all people at all times. You know, being a public place shared by people, you find what, you know, a common denominator. The things that, you know, um, are the... Kind of like the least offensive, you know, the least 
controversial, you know, as as you know, public places go. Uh, yes, Stormy Vane or you know Todd Music or whatever you know has a First Amendment right to certain things, but um, the man's a freak. He needs yeah. to get some help. Oh, I, undoubtedly. I'm sorry. Did I say or, that out loud? Oh my gosh, I didn't censor my thoughts. Yeah, he's he's messed. He's 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 involved in pretty messed up stuff. He needs the Lord. Uh, everyone needs the Lord. Anyway, so... But in uh, the meantime, a, a the public, gods of Baal... Yeah, a public library is not a place to push social change and, you know, your pet projects. Well, even, you know, as it was mentioned, this Tess Wasserman wrote yeah. this article on how to be a secret operative. If you have to be secret about it, that tells you something about the moral nature of something. You know, anytime you want to hide something... You know, that tells you, should tell you something about the morality of it. I mean, if you're afraid of getting caught, you know, getting caught, uh, you know, helping uh, an old lady cross the street or, you know, generally not, the things we fear getting caught doing are things that are shameful. Right. And so the fact you wanted to be, you know, and these, and these, these males... These guys, you know, dressing up as women. These perverts these, dressing up as women. Yeah. Just say it that way, because that's what they are. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, I'm... <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I, I know. I've read How to Win Friends and Influence People, but i Why don't one of these are real names? No, it's Stormy Vane. It's whatever. They're in the hide their identities. Why? Because ultimately... They're cowards. Shame, they're shameful acts, and they know it. Yeah, they do. And anyway, so kind of not cohesive, you know, cohesively assembled there. But, you know, those are my thoughts. A uh, public library ought to be for the public good, just like our Constitution promotes the general welfare. It's not about concern that, you know, nitpicking micromanage the welfare of this individual and this particular ethnicity and this and then, you know... You know, micromanaging and, and you know, and unity is, is promoting the general welfare is, is the purpose of the Constitution. You know, the, the, the commonwealth as, you know. But you know the, what? You know, okay, well, I'm going to say something. Yeah. <clears throat> Amen to everything you just said. I heard it all. I was here. That's good. Looking at your cute face across the table from me. Yeah. But here's the thing. Some people will get mad because I'm saying that guy was a pervert, a creep, butthead, whatever, right? True, right? How dare I? Mm. Do you, but think about this, okay? And this is why I'm doing it. Well, if you, if you exercise burglary, you're a burglar. If you exercise perversion, you're a pervert. Okay, but here's why I say it. Because our society has said, I can't say it. The brainwashing of the masses, the marketing of the evil tells me that I cannot have a right to speak my mind about sexual perversion the a, way that it is a, today. A vocal yet powerful minority says that. Yes. Okay. But it's not but, the culture telling you that. It's not Before society. I forget my point. Yes, dear. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm going to say it and I want you guys to say it too. Like, I mean, I know I'm a leader, right? I'm a godly woman. Some people might not think so, but I am. And I'm going to tell you something. The reason I say it 
and I get mad is because that is sin, but even more so, it's wickedness. It's wickedness and it's targeting innocent children. You know what? I don't know about you, but I was molested. I was sexually abused half my my childhood, okay? No adult ever spoke up and defended me or protected me. It was because Jesus came into my life and protected me and gave me the courage to expose the creep that did this to me, right? Now, I know what it's like to have that type of pornography shown to me as a little girl, and I can only imagine, because I will never look at it, the crap that they're putting into these little kids' minds and heads with this perversion. And if women and men of God can't stand up and call this darkness and wickedness what it is because they're afraid that they might get called a hater or a bigot by somebody, you know, who's a deviant SOB, in defense of protecting a child, <laughs> I don't know, people. What's worse? What's worse, me calling that guy a butthead, a perverted freak, or the child being emotionally and like psychologically raped by the perversion that these creeps are putting into their heads? You know, by definition, if that kid came into my office as a therapist and showed me this stuff and said, oh, therapist, you know, or whatever, this, this is what my mommy and my daddy show me, and, they, they, and then the kid told me, that would be considered child sexual abuse. But here, open public, just because it's some transgender freak or a cross-dresser or a drag queen, they can do it and it's not considered sexual abuse on a little kid? That's how perverse our society has become. And that is why you and me have to stand up to the darkness and just say, this, this is enough. You know what? There are too many children out there who have crappy homes you know, dealing with unstable parents for whatever reason, you know, and this is in the church and outside the church, unfortunately, you know, some, you know, and I know what it's like to not have had anybody defend me and I, <laughs> I would go to the mat to defend any kid and you can ask, <laughs> you could tell Randall that for sure. I mean, he knows. So, you know, how much more so, you know, I mean, how hard is it, people, to write a, a signature on a petition or something or, or pick up the phone and call your local library and say, what the heck? Or if you have time, go down there and volunteer yourself, you know, and bring in some godly influence. Be salt in these wicked places that these perverts have decided to co-opt and make their playground and recruiting ground because that's exactly what it is. And nobody will convince me otherwise. <laughs> I mean, think about it, you know. I mean, think about it. Yeah, it's just like what on our watch. I mean, seriously. Spot on, spot on. It's, it's yeah, it's the recruiting ground. Meanwhile, one of them. Yeah. Meanwhile, and, and you know, uh, and and children because adults usually are not as impressionable and uh, usually a little more intelligent. Yeah. And and would not be hoodwinked. You know, by the perversion. I mean, it happens, but generally, I mean, it's it's almost it's a stereotype. You know, the the older person and the younger person who's initiated in uh, through rape or through you know or exposure to pornography or now drag queen story time, whatever. Yeah, it's 
Yeah. It, it, it is evil. And, but you know what? We, we can't say it's evil because that doesn't exist, does it? Yeah. No, there's no such thing as evil anymore. There's no such, Unless you're a Christian, then you're evil and you're a hater and you're a bigot. All right, so what? Go ahead. Call me a hater, evil, and bigot. Whatever. I don't really care. I really don't. Because you know what that tells me? It tells me that you're the evil one, you're the bigot, and you're the hater because, you know, you don't like the truth, the, the real truth, the light being shed on the darkness. And you know what? They, they crucified Jesus, you know, and Jesus said to his followers, you know, get prepared. You will be persecuted too on account of me. You know what? And so if you don't stand up for what Jesus stands up for, then I wonder, hey, what, what's your issue? <laughs> what? Oh, you don't want somebody to call you a bigot? Oh, oh, it's too bad. I'm so sorry for you that, you know, you don't want to be known as a bigot. Do you want to be known as a disciple of Christ? Because it's not about you, just so you know. Just, just so you know, it's not. Your Christian faith has nothing really to do with you at all. You know, it has everything to do with Christ and that's the problem is our churches today forget that oh yeah let's go to church oh yeah let's worship the pastor or the praise song or the worship music you know or anything that makes me feel good and doesn't make me feel like i have any sin in my life because god forbid i actually you know confess i have some sin it drives me crazy so here's another story it's titled gender dissenter gets fired Gender dissenter gets fired. You're going to love this. This is over on the nationalreview.com. <clears throat> Dr. Alan jo Josephson discusses academic freedom, child wel welfare, gender ideology, and the price he has paid for his principles. Speaking of that, Alan M. Josephson is a distinguished psychiatrist who since 2003 has transformed the division of child and adolescent psychiatry and psychology at the University of Louisville from a struggling department to a nationally acclaimed program. In the fall of 2017, he appeared on a panel at the Heritage Foundation and shared his professional opinion on the medicalization of gender-confused youth. The university responded by demoting him and then effectively firing him. <clears throat> Now he was fighting back. Josephson v. Benda Pudi has been filed in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Kentucky. Here, Josephson, Josephson discusses his case, gender dysphoria, academic freedom, and the medical harms of gender ideology for children with National Review's Madeline Kearns. <clears throat> and so, so here it is. I don't know if you can see it all. So Madeline Kern says, this, this all started after you appeared on a panel at the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank. Were you speaking there as a conservative or as a medical professional? I love it. I mean, why do you even have to determine that? I mean, whose business is it anyway? But whatever. He says, oh, I was speaking as a medical professional, clearly, and I was chosen because of the perspective that I would give. I had been directing the Division of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at the University of Louisville for 15 years. I had been successful there and was asked to give a speech off campus and on my own time. It was not a university event, and I was speaking in my individual capacity. Don't you love all the caveats there? So MK says, so what happened? 
So then he said, shortly after that speech, it became clear that a few on my faculty were upset with some of the things that I said. Within a few short weeks, it was stunning how quickly it occurred. I was removed from my leadership position and then within the next year, subjected to a fairly hostile work environment situations. And finally, not that long ago, informed that my contract would not be renewed when it ended on June 30th. So the interviewer says, so this is because of your expressed professional opinion on gender dysphoria in young people. I assume you knew going to the Heritage Foundation that this is a very hot topic politically, and yet you felt compelled to speak up. Why? Oh, why? Why would a conservative be compelled to speak up, people? What? Conservatives can't speak up? Only liberals can? Really? Okay. Well, anyway. So he says, well, I was asked by people that I respected. Their concern was that we hear all kinds of information from one perspective. And the leaders of the seminar recognized that not all voices were being heard. I had given a couple of talks in other places, so they invited me. I was aware of the potential controversy, but I also had things I needed to say because I felt they were clinically true and appropriate because this is a perspective that more people need to hear. In other words, the truth is more people need to hear the truth. So, <clears throat> so then the lady says, how stressful has this ordeal been? Well, it, ha it has had various phases. The first phase was, this just can't be happening to me. I was very successful and very well liked. I built my division up from a few people to probably 15, and we had a clinic of almost 30 people. I was banned from faculty meetings. I was banned from certain kinds of interactions with staff and told that I couldn't, told what I could and couldn't say to people. And this was a place that I built, you know, and then the stress of one's personal relationships, my family worried about me, friends worried about me. It was probably was six months before I felt comfortable and was sleeping again. You know, the personal stress is pretty enormous, but then I did, I decided to do something. So the interviewer says, <clears throat> you mentioned earlier about the politicalization of this particular field of medicine more generally and gave the example of the American Ac Ac Academy of Pediatrics, which last year issued a widely criticized, pol criticized policy statement endorsing gender affirmation psychological, medical, and surgical sex change treatments for minors. You said something very interesting, that for people who aren't familiar with this process, that could, this could seem like there's a medical consensus when actually it's a very small number of people driving this change. Amen. Which we all know, right? So the, the doctor says, it's a political process, correct, and the way committees are formed, various people who have various interests get on them. They do intense work and sometimes very good work, but it often doesn't meet the scrutiny of scientific statement. An organization affirming a position is not necessarily science, but it is a group of people agreeing to say something. Which, by the way, going back to when the diagnostic and statistical manual removed the diagnosis of homosexuality in the 70s, 1973 to be exact. It had nothing to do with science. It was completely political. It was. And yet today, the gay lobby will tell us, yeah, you know what? The APA says blah, 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 blah about this, which means you have to accept it because the APA has the final word. Really? I don't know about that. I think Jesus has the final word, and what his word says, I stand by. 
Anyway, this 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 uh this uh, interviewer goes on to say, so so is what you're saying that within the profession, a lot of people agree with you and your assessment of this issue. And the doctor says, well, it's hard to know what, quote, lots of people means. I think it could be that there's a silent majority. I think there are a lot of people who agree with me. There's no question. And I've spoken with colleagues on various campuses who have had similar situations where someone will come into their office, close the door behind them, and say something to the effect of, you know, I really agree with you, but for various reasons, I can't speak out. So whether it's intimidation, fear of bullying, it's hard to know how big that number is, but I can assure you since the Heritage Foundation, I've had many supportive calls from parents of children experiencing gender dysphoria, etc. And you know what's sad is that he's actually describing uh, um, true stuff. I, I will give an example from my own, my own education. <clears throat> many of you know I went to Vanguard University of Southern California, graduated in 2005 with my master's of science degree in clinical psychology. When I was there at this Christian university, um, we had a cultural diversity course, right? In that class, um, there was a segment on homosexuality. And I was given the assignment, and I'll never forget this because it was so, I remember going, this is interesting. Not everybody in my class was a believer, but the overwhelming majority were. And so we had this assignment where we were supposed to write a, a three-page paper. We were supposed to interview somebody about a, quote, different diversity. And then we had to get up and give a five-minute speech on it. And so I went up to the professor, who was actually a fellow student, and I said to Joel, his name's Joel, I said, Joel, um, we're going to be doing a, a uh, you know, this segment on homosexuality. Can I do my paper on somebody who's a former homosexual? And he, he said to me, if you could find one, I was like, no problemo there. So I did. I called up one of my friends who works at one of the organizations. I talked to her and I interviewed a woman who was in the lesbian lifestyle for like 30 years, came to a relationship with Jesus. Jesus saved her and she came out and now she ministers to people who are trapped in that lifestyle, right? And I, and I know some of you don't like the, that lingo, but whatever. <clears throat> it was probably a month that we had to do this assignment. And I remember fellow students like would come up to me and go, are you really going to talk about that? And I'm like, yeah, I was like the talk of the class, but it was all whispers behind my back. Right. And there was one woman, her name was Kathy. She was in this class with me and she actually had worked for, um, Wycliffe as a missionary. And when she was on the, the mission field as a missionary with Wycliffe translators, uh, she had an encounter with the Lord and got saved. And she had been identifying as a lesbian up until that point. God delivered her. She got married. And she was literally sitting in that class with me. And uh, she was a married woman, delivered of lesbianism, did not say one word that whole class. Well, a, a month goes by. And it was time for me to get up and do my presentation. So I did, of course, and got up there in front of everybody. And I shared the testimony of the woman. And um, I started, but I started out my presentation this way because I wanted people to know. By the way, there was probably about 25 people in the class, a couple of pastors and Kathy, right? And so I'm standing there in front of everybody. And I said, look, everybody, today what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about how there are three different types of homosexuality. 
there is your friend, like on Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, because that was popular back then. Um, you know, they dress great and, you know, have great hair. They're flamboyant and everything. And they're not doing anything except trying to live their lives and, and be your, you know, good good old pal friend. Uh, I said, and then there is the the political arm of the homosexual movement, which is your more militant people. These are the ones out in your gay pride parades and marching down Constitution Avenue, demanding special rights for themselves and changing our laws. And then the third one is there's the ex-gay community. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. Oh my gosh. Well, I had five minutes, right? Five minutes to do my presentation. And I fielded probably a half hour or more of actual questions from my fellow classmates. Well, you know, and, and it was supposed to only be like five minutes Q&A. So I'm like <clears throat> answering questions like, well, is this really legit? You know, how do you know that they're just not lying about it? And I'm, I'm thinking, and, and so I thought about it afterwards and I thought, here I am in a clinical psychology course on cultural diversity and one of the main modalities I've been trained in is cognitive behavioral therapy, right? The Bible says in Romans 12, 2, to not be conformed to this world, but to be continually transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, duh, hello, if you change your thinking, you change your behavior. Likewise, if you change your behavior, that often leads to changing your thinking. It's, just, it's a circular thing. If I don't believe God's word, like if I change my mind, it will change my life then what's the point of learning cognitive behavioral therapy to help somebody? And why is that good enough to help somebody, let's say, helps help them stop smoking or, or drug addiction, but it can't help them with same-sex attraction? That doesn't make any sense, right? So I'm like, whatever. Well, a couple of weeks later, my professor, who happened to be a police officer, by the way, uh, Joel, he comes He comes in front of the class and he says, well, today our special guest speaker happens to be my partner, my, my motorcycle cop partner. Uh, she is, and I forgot, I forgot her name, um, but she was a, a lesbian and Joel and her had worked together for years. Remember, this is in Southern California. So I'm in there and I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, this is a three hour class at night and I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there and I'm listening and this woman brought in her uh, um, photo album and she showed us all about her life and and then talked about how she decided to go into the lesbian world and blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting there and I didn't say a word because the Lord told me, do not say a word. You already did your presentation. Don't say anything. And a friend of mine afterwards comes up to me and she's like, it was like during the break. She goes, are you, are you going to say anything? I said, why should I say anything? I said, I already spoke the truth here, you know. Okay. I said, just pray for me, though, because I really do want to say something, but God told me not to. <laughs> and she's like, okay. So 10 o'clock comes at night, you know, class is over. I'm getting ready to leave. And Joel comes up to me and he's like, Stace, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, great. I'm like, what? You know, I'm, it's late. I want to go home. And he's like, you got a second? I go, sure. I go, okay. So he's like, what did you think of tonight's presentation? I said, is this going to impact my grade at all? I mean, you know, he said, well, you didn't say anything. I said, I didn't have to say anything. I already told you from my other presentation, you know, how it went. And he's like, well, I really want to know what you think. You're the only one in this class who actually has the guts to stand up for your convictions. 
I said, well, actually then, I'll tell you, I can debate her and kick her butt in a debate. She doesn't even know her side of the argument. So he says to me, well, you know, maybe next semester, you know, the next time the class comes around, maybe we can do that. I said, okay. Do you know that the next semester when the class was offered, that whole section was taken out and they never... Uh, at least not at least the remainder of the time I was there, addressed that issue again. And I heard behind, you know, the whispers and stuff, even from the clinical director of that program, who actually just retired, when I hugged them and, you know, would say goodbye or whatever, I literally heard whispered in my ear at this Christian university, thank you for doing what you're doing because I'm not allowed to talk about it. And why do I share that? Because this was in 2003 or four, something like that. And I'm like, I'm the what? The only Christian in this school that has the guts to stand up? Well, I forgot one part. So the day, though, that I had given my speech and my class was just railing at me, you know, questions and some were kind of attacking me. My friend Marguerite, who was not a Christian, uh, this is forgive me for what I'm going to say, but she got up. She literally got up. She stood right next to me at the podium and she turned and she said, why don't all of you shut the hell up (laughs) and just listen to her? You know, why can't she have that perspective? She just gave you evidence. What is all your people's problems? And then she went and sat down because everybody shut up. So it was kind of funny, and me and Marguerite are still friends to this day, but I will say it was funny to me that the Christians wouldn't stand up with me in that environment, but the unbeliever did. And how how much more different is it today with this guy? Going back to uh, um, <clears throat> this article about this gender dissenter getting fired. Really, because that's what it has to do with. It's an economic issue. Most people don't want to speak up because they'll lose They'll, they'll lose their job. That's what they're afraid of. So <clears throat> the, um, the um, interviewer says, interestingly, I've also had emails and calls from AAP members and pediatricians saying pretty much what you said and asking to remain anonymous. Well, why? Why remain anonymous? Right? And so he says, interesting. And then the interviewer says, the other thing you mentioned is that to those outside this world, it can seem as though they... Uh, There are only a handful of doctors expressing your view, which makes them much easier to dismiss as crackpots or whatever. And the fired doctor says, I think it takes a certain academic perspective and knowledge of the field to say something. It can be lonely. For me, it was really three things. First, it was a conviction that I had been wronged. It was just this moral sense. You don't do this to someone who had worked this hard for a university and in a few weeks get rid of them for expressing a view, which is really part of your job description. So there's a kind of righteous indignation. Second, and I, this, I love this, I saw parents and children being hurt by this. These kids are, for the most part, very vulnerable people. You can see that when you spend time with them. Certainly the teenagers have multiple problems. Most of the time, 60 or 70% of the time, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, they're hurting people. And parents are confused because they're basically getting one message from medical and mental health professionals. And that is to quote, affirm people, unquote. And I can actually testify to that myself as a therapy 
practitioner. That was what I was taught in my supervisory training was whenever anybody comes into your office, it doesn't matter what the heck it is they want to be affirmed for, your job is to do it. <clears throat> I was like, I ain't going to do that, just so you know. Um, <clears throat> anyway, doctor goes on to say, and so I have encouraged people to explore uh, before prescribing treatment, specifically to consider other developmental factors, uh, family factors that have gone into the insecurities that are associated with this. And then finally, I spoke up because I'm at the end of my career. I have accomplished a lot professionally and had an established reputation. If someone like me can be demoted, harassed, and then effectively fired for expressing my views, think of what an intimidating effect this has on younger professionals who are not yet established in their careers. And that should not be how academics proceeds or how science proceeds. We think together, we reason together, we talk together. My colleagues couldn't do that, and I think we... we I think we see that nationally as well. And so the, uh, the, the, the interviewer says, and gender dysphoria is just one of many things that you have contributed to professionally, isn't it? He says, oh, absolutely. I have a broad range of interests and still do. The interviewer laughs. I'm glad to hear it. Conversely, for a lot of activists, it would seem that this is all they think about. They have a certain kind of single-mindedness, whereas for most people who have weighed in on this issue in any way, it's really one of many, many things going on in their lives. It's just that they feel it's necessary, given what's at stake, given what's happening to kids, to respond. And then he says, that is a very, very perceptive comment. I have kind of a joke with some of my family and friends. One of the ways that you diagnose transgenderism, according to the lingo, is that if a child is, quote, persistent, cons consistent, and insistent in the demand that they are the gender opposite to their biological sex, then it must be true. When I saw that, my, my knee-jerk response was, do these people have children? Because in the process of raising children, they insistently, persistently, and consistently demand lots of things that are not good for them. Whether it's turning off the computer, eating your own food, staying up too late, and it's the parent's job then to guide them to say, this is what you need to do to be healthy. And of course, in a loving relationship, kids may test that a little bit, but they accept it. That's what's been the most amazing thing about this. These people are uni-focused and often don't have children and don't understand children. And they are often not scientists. So it's an interesting group that fuels this. Very astute observation, people. Think about that. Bearface, you want to comment on that? Yeah, I was, um, I guess recently somewhere, yeah, we, we so when we were out to lunch and you were having conversation at one of the tables, I was in conversation at another table and, and got into California politics and, and basically I was saying that, you know, it, it, in Sacramento, the, the, in the so-called California Republic, there are not representatives that are not representing the people. Yes, there are, you know, some far left people and in the metropolitan areas. Yes, there are some far right people in the agricultural areas, but the, you know, the, the most prevalent, you know, part of California, they're middle of the road kind of people, right. you know, they're, they're moderates, as we saw with the election of Arnold Schwarzenegger, when there were like 200 people running for governor, whatever year that was. No, no lie. There were, right, like there were a lot, well over a hundred candidates listed for governor on the ballot and he won. And 
and just talking to people before the election. Uh, you know, I just discovered moderate people are, you know, not far left, not far right. They're just kind of middle of the road people. But the somehow the politicians that keep getting elected to state offices are, I would even call them far left. They're just like in a whole nother dimension. Like they have this concept of what reality like moonbeam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, He's, and that's Jerry Brown. In case you don't know, like, yeah, you have to be involved in California to know that one. <laughs> we need to ban straws. You know, that's the most important thing we can push through legislation. That seriously sure, was the weirdest thing when I went back sure there recently. We, sure, we have a homeless crisis. Sure, we have a traffic problem. Sure, we have pollution problems. We have this kind of problem, that kind of problem. But the best thing, the best legacy we can leave for all all of humanity is to ban plastic straws. And yet, the thing mm. is, is it's really more balloons that create more of the problem. I, I know, but I mean... But. I, and, and so you see these things that come up in legislation, and a lot of them have to do with, um, you know, social engineering that don't have to do with... They're not trying to solve real problems. They're, they've got this... Sort of... They're insane. <laughs> yeah, okay. They're this fantasy world, and they're, they're trying to, you know, legislate that no one comes to them saying, oh, we need this or we need that. They just... It's not a representative government. It's, a, it's an aristocracy that invents pet projects and, and, and brings, them to the, brings them to the legislative floor. Um so in the same way, in in academia, not in you know, not in uh, government, mm -hmm. not in uh, you know, um, you know, not in the legislative branches, but in academia, that uh, sector, there are these people that uh, no, I I don't know, I've never been there, but I doubt people are clamoring, knocking the doorstep. Oh my my child has gender dysphoria and. And uh, what do we do? Can you help us affirm them in, in their, you know, in the rebellion against their, you know, biology? But uh, I don't think anyone, this is a problem they had to address from a psychological problem, from a psychological viewpoint. It's a psychological viewpoint that they originated and put out there to create whatever, you know, society they thought was utopia. You know, brave new world. Um, so yeah, the very similar way. He says, you know, these, these are un, these people are unifocused and don't have children and don't understand children. And they're often not scientists. So it's an interesting, interesting group that fuels this, not responding to a problem, not responding to a cultural, you know, or a scientific or even a social issue. It's a group that's fueling this. They're making it an issue, <clears throat> inventing constructs to... Right. Well, okay. Here's, here's another thing. How many of you have ever heard of Jean William Fritz Piaget? Put a one if you ever heard of Jean William Fritz Piaget. I'm sure some of you have. I'm just waiting. I don't even know if anybody's over on YouTube, Randall. I haven't even looked. I'm going to go look to see if there's any comments over there. I haven't seen any in a while. Oh, okay. 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 So Linus has. Okay, good. So um, if you don't know who Piaget was. Okay, Tommy's over there. Hello. Yeah. Okay. 
Hopefully you're still there. Okay, so Jean Piaget um, was a um, a psychologist known for his work uh, and basically child development, right? He came he came up with these, these theories of child development and and cognitive you know ways of looking at things and everything. And I remember because my my bachelor's of science degree is in human development, so I I studied this guy and some of his work. And just to throw out something super basic, which I know all you guys know, but in case there's some liberal that turns in and doesn't know this stuff, I will use an example. Okay, so let's just say for sake of argument that right now, um, this bottle is like, well, it says 16.9 fluid ounces. Okay, let's pretend this is an 18 ounce bottle just for sake of argument, okay? 18 ounces of water. This is a tall bottle. Yeah, it is. And let's just say this cup is also 18 ounces. But let's pretend it's a clear cup and you can see through it. Okay, so you see this? There's there's two different sizes of the thing. Now, if you fill both of these up with the exact same amount of water and you show it to a child, what do you think the child is going to say? Which one has more, this one or this one? The taller one or the shorter, fat one? What one has more? Well, that was part of Piaget's research, right? And what he discovered was cognitively developing that, of course, the child would say the bottle, right, Stephen? You did very good. I'm proud of you. Uh, <laughs> that the bottle has more water in it because the brain of these little children can't actually reason at that age that the same amount of water could fit in this as could fit in this now and that's so basic right i mean duh that's super basic how much more so the whole issue of sexuality and this is where it drives me crazy because you have um uh you you have you have these perverts who are indoctrinating these children when they're little and b little boys play with little boys and they're telling them, well, if you're, if you like a little boy when you're five and six years old, your best friend's a little boy, then that means you're gay. No, it doesn't. It means that you're normal. It means you're absolutely normal. You know, if a girl comes by you when you're five years old, you go, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta, I'm going to get cooties. I mean, that's what that's all about. Your whole childhood, you're like, you know, you don't want anything to do with the opposite gender. Not because of sex, because they don't even know what the heck that is, unless they're being abused. And then even then, they don't get it, you know. And, and so this this is what drives me crazy, because you have not reprobate minds, you know, attacking <laughs> children and really stealing their innocence and taking that away from them under the guise of well you know we need to be tolerant and everything about this and that's bs we don't have to be tolerant anybody that tells you you have to be tolerant of sexual abusers that person should be smacked upside their head and promptly arrested and put in jail you know especially if there's evidence they're doing it. But yet we've sanctioned sexual abuse to children in this country because because people like we're talking about here with this doctor who is who just lost his job because people won't speak up. Why? Because 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 they don't want to get involved. 
And maybe I'm a little bit more passionate about it because nobody got involved with me either when I tried to report my abuser to a church the very first time. I was told, go to the school and do it. Okay, what the heck? I'm 13 years old. I'll do it. You know, just because you're an adult doesn't mean you're going to do a darn thing to protect me. Oh, yeah? Well, too bad. Fortunately, in California, fortunately, I had a very nice uh, lady, her name was Gladys, who actually called the police. She was a mandated reporter, and even though churches are supposed to be mandated reporters, the wimpy pastor I was under at the time, bless his heart, you know, <laughs> didn't do the job, but the the schools the school counselor did. So, <clears throat> and do you think that she felt better about it? I'll tell you what. Many years later, I, as an adult, after I graduated from high school, got into therapy to start dealing with this stuff, I went back personally and I thanked that woman for doing her job. How much more so us do our job and do what God tells us to do, right? All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's more to this article, but I actually, I, there's one more story I want to get to and this. You can read the rest of the article yourself if you want. I will tweet it out on my Twitter account at Bible News Radio. Um, but I think you got the point, right? The point is that here's this guy, a, psycholo- a psychiatrist in good standing, but how dare he actually say that you don't have to give kids hormones and stuff like that uh, if they're confused um, and, you know, he loses his job over it. Now, as he points out later in an interview, why should we leave it up to a child to say something's not, you know, that something's not right uh, in opposition to their biology? Um, I forget exactly how he said it, but, yeah. you know, we, we don't say, we don't, we don't say it to a three-year-old, oh, here's the car keys, you know, go, go discover driving. You know, we don't, we don't have a bottle of liquor, hopefully, and say, oh, discover if you're not, whether or not you like alcohol. Right. Um, you know, oh, you know, here's, here's a gun, Tommy, you know, or little Susie, go play with it and see what your opinion is about guns. Or go, you know, because we, we, they're children, they have no concept of, you know, very important things like that. Oh, you don't. You think you're the, the the you're the opposite sex? Okay. Well, let's 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 do everything we can to affirm that and pump you full of hormones and you know, because you you're the absolute best judge. You'd know what's going on with your body. You should know whether or not you're a boy or a girl, no matter what's going on outside. You said it. You're the, you're the authority on all things, you know, <laughs> and all things social and human. A three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old child, six or even ten, you know, we've, boy, you're the, you're the fount of wisdom, so we need to move heaven and earth to, to, you know, accommodate your, your assertion. Most of these children can't even dress themselves. Yeah, I know. It's like... I was, several weeks ago, I was reading an article about this, this blogger, a mother, talking about how her... Her son, young son, likes to dress in dresses, and that's what he picks out for. I'm thinking, where did he get these? Right. Did he go shopping for himself? He might have. He might. I I doubt it. Does he have a job making money to drive down there? No. Here comes Billy, you know, looking to buy another sundress for... I I doubt it. (laughs) 
you know, she's affirming, and you know, this is what he likes. Man, I put it out there, and this is what he chooses. You know, it's like we went to. Well, I gave my, you know, I gave my, I gave my little child the choice between broccoli and candy bars, and they chose candy bars, so that's what they should eat. By golly, you know, that's what they want. That's their preference. Ah, good night. I'm gonna shut up. <laughs> Sorry, Bareface. He's he's fifty five. You know how you are when you hit fifty five. It's kind of all crotchety from there. No offense if you're over fifty five. I think you understand what I mean. Bareface has gotten old. Yeah, he has. Not that fifty five is old. <laughs> I know most of you that watch us are a little bit older than me. I I do respect I you. Say most, but uh... no. So the average mean age of this show is about sixty five. The mean, the mean average. I think so. What would that be the mode average? Whatever. Okay, so here's here's the thing. Um, Ariel Ministries, they love us. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they sponsor the show. Uh, don't forget, you can go to ariel.org, in case you're not reading the ticker on the bottom there through the whole show. You can save 20% when you use the coupon code Bible News. If you like the show, please do it. That would be nice of you to buy something from there. <clears throat> Because unlike other Christian ministries that have fluffy pablum that they give you, I guarantee anything you get from Ariel is not going to be pablum. It's going to be good, solid, doctrinally uh, biblical content. So make sure you do that. Uh, Secondly, um, if you want to become a pillar of our community, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can go over to, well, first of all, a pillar is somebody simply who believes that, that you like what we're doing and you're going to donate to us. So, um, you know, I, I call a pillar anybody that donates once a month to us. So, um, there's a couple places you can do that. You can just go to our website, go to biblenewsradio.com forward slash give, donate there with a credit card or through PayPal. Uh, if you want to, um, you know, donate at, um, what is it, givesendgo.com? I think that's what it is. Yeah, givesendgo.com forward slash Bible News Radio. Um, we have a page over there. Uh, Denise gave to us over there recently. You can also do it over there. Either way is fine. I don't care where you give as long as, you know, if God leads you to give, please give. Um, also, if um, you want to support the show by becoming a... Uh, customer of Legal Shield uh, or getting ID Shield, which is our identity theft protection, then um, then I recommend just getting in touch with me directly. It's not that hard to do. Um, you can contact me through our Bible News Radio website or on any of my social media. Uh, just say, hey, I want to talk to you about Legal Shield and ID Shield, and I'll talk to you. Um, that is a really good way to get in touch with me. And if you want to join my team as a representative, I am looking for a few good people. You know, as a as a lady of justice, which is the girl arm of Legal Shield, our mission is to help improve lives with our services and provide women the opportunity and environment to build their belief and confidence, step into their greatness and power, control their lives and create choices and live a purposeful life. It's right here on the back. This is our mission statement. And you know what? Uh, to own your seat at the table. You know what? And, the, and I will say this, one of the best things about this company, this, it's a direct sales company, is that 
this is a company that not only do we have an awesome product, I mean, you get unlimited access to an attorney for 25 bucks a month. You can't get that anywhere, okay? And there, I mean, there's stipulations to certain things, but I can tell you, you get your will done, you can get your advanced directives done, all that is included in that price, right? Plus a lot more. But here's the other thing. If you, if you become an associate, then this organization develops you as a leader. And as much as you do the work, you apply yourself to become a leader and to, to step up and share this wonderful product with people, you're going to grow as a person. I guarantee it. Um, and we have world-class identity theft protection. We, we monitor all three bureaus now and um, a whole bunch more. We got a mobile app, a ton of stuff. So there's just so much to it that I have to tell you that um, the investment in doing that far outweighs, um, you know, the, the cost of what you're doing is nothing compared to what you can make. And that's a true story. So if you're interested in joining my team, let me know. Okay. All right. So one last article I want to get to before the show ends tonight, and that is that um, I want to say hi to Nair. Hello, honey. And then uh, Barb, I see you there. Hi. And then, um, of course, Melanie, Mia, uh, Denise, I think Sharon, and who else? Paulette, Christy, Lori, Michelle. Thank you guys for coming in as well. And anybody else that's out there, you know, thank you for coming in. I know some of you probably, you're like, yeah, why wouldn't I come in? Okay, so this last story, I've actually been holding this all week, and I haven't actually gotten to all the stories. I, get, I keep giving Randall all these stories, and like we're not getting through them all. So it's been a challenge for me from going seven days to do, well, really five days to doing this down to three. Um, but the decline of the Christian bookstore, this article has sat on my desk um, since the 11th, because this is when Ju Ruth Graham, uh, who is, the, I believe, the daughter of Billy Graham, uh, she wrote this, and I'm going to read this because, um, because I think that this is a sign of the times, and I think it's an extremely significant one. Look at that. There's two of me. Yeah, there is. There's twins. Oh, I'm gone. <laughs> okay, so it's titled The Decline of the Christian Bookstore. Yes, they sell sanitized music and quote Jesus junk, but something important gets lost when Christian bookstores disappear. Now, before I even read this, I'm going to tell you, I love books, man. Hey, if you ever want to send me a book of any type, I don't care, ebook, uh, you know, a hardback book, a coloring book, um, any type of book, unless, unless it's pornography or something gross like that. You can, you can save that. But if you want to give me a, a gift card to Amazon, I will buy books with it. Christian book, preferably. Just give me a gift card there instead if, if you want. I love books. I'm a bibliophile. Obviously, I love education. I got a master's degree. Um, you know, I didn't just get it out of a cracker box. I had to read and write a lot to get that. So, I love books, and Randall can tell you I had to give away like hundreds of books. I'll probably have close to a thousand books when when we move from California to here. I read voraciously, or ferociously. Yeah, I do. I read every day. I listen to stuff every day. Um, I just love books. And one of the things I loved when I lived in California was Berean Christian Bookstore. 
I loved it, man. I would go up there, hang out. I'd look through their cheapy books and then I would get the latest, whatever it was I could get. And then when I started this show 15 years ago, uh, blog4books.com was my URL because that's how this show started. It was me going to the Christian publisher saying, hey, you know what? You send me your books in exchange for a review. I'll get you bloggers to review it. And then, you know, you pay me to do that. And, and you know, and this show really was born because of my love for books. Went to NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters Expo. There I was. People were giving me all these books. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crack for me. It's I love books. Where do you go to get free books? Forget the library. I, I started getting free books sent to me. And even to this day, I could, I mean, every week I could get a gazillion free books sent to me if I choose. I've actually, you know, let up a little. <laughs> it's just because I don't have room for them all. But the Christian bookstore is sad that it has, it has declined for all the crap that they sell. You know, the Jesus junk that this article talks about. The fact that these are going away and have gone away is a tragedy for America. Listen to this article. As young people embrace mysticism as meaning, entertainment, or both spiritual stores selling things like crystals, tarot cards, sage, and occult books are experiencing a revival. The shops bloomed in the 1970s as a result of interest in New Age spirituality. Presidential candidate Marianne Williamson credits a New Age bookshop in Houston with introducing her to the city's spiritual scene in high school. Uh, she later ran a similar store herself. Hopefully that woman gets saved someday. Their traditional Christian bookstore selling Bibles and Christian uh, Shotskis, is that how you say Shotskis. that? Shotskis is also a product of the 1970s. But while reporting a story that ran this week in, in Slate about the runaway Christian bestseller, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, I was reminded that unlike spiritual shops, Christian bookstores may not be long for this earth. Lifeway Christian Stores, a chain operated by the Southern Baptist Convention, announced this spring it is closing all 170 brick-and-mortar stores. Actually did cover that on the show. <clears throat> way back in the spring. Family Christian Stores, another major chain, said in 2017 that it would close its 240 stores and lay off 3,000 people. A Methodist-run chain closed its 57 stores in 2012. We are fast approaching an America where this particular brand of religious retailer will, no will be no more than a memory. As the week put it a few years ago, independent shops are struggling too. The only Christian bookstore in the, near, in the city nearest to me, Concord, New Hampshire, closed this spring after 35 years in business, blaming Amazon for a 33% decline in sales in recent years. The local spiritual shop carries on despite multiple negative Yelp reviews of its energy. Even the industry's longtime uh, lead trade group, formerly known as the Christian Booksellers Association, has collapsed. And I will tell you, as somebody who has worked in this industry closely with publishers for a long time, Christian publishers are are going bankrupt, you guys. And I can tell you, I used to have six or seven Christian publishers every single week messaging me their, their pitches and, and inviting me to interview their guests and stuff. And I would always get five or six review copies of a book. If you guys have been with me for a long time, you would know that. I would give them away all the time. That has stopped because these 
in part what has happened is a lot of these Christian publishers have been bought by heathen and and they are slowly killing the publishers. <clears throat> but anyway, article goes on to say, in their heyday, Christian bookstores were ubiquitous in strip malls and suburban main streets across the country, largely an evangelical phenomena. They sold Bibles, devotionals, music, fiction, and nonfiction, along with merch, figurines, Christmas ornaments, t-shirts with slogans like, body piercing saved my life, get it? Critics called the merchandise at Christian stores Jesus junk. Chris Williams, a former employee of Focus Christian or uh, family Christian stores described the atmosphere in a 2017 blog post marking the demise of that chain. It was like walking into an evangelical bizarro world where everything was a fun house, mirror image of a real world items. There was music that sounded kind of like what you'd hear on the radio. It might not be as good, but at least it was clean, right? There were horror novels that never got too intense and wrapped things up with a conversion experience or spiritual victory. The idea was that the retailer knew that its shoppers enjoyed things of the world and they provided items that were copies of that but were, quote, safe, unquote. By the way, I should tell you also, in case you don't know, Christian novels, you know, like Christian romance and all that, that is a relatively young genre, you guys. I don't know how many people know that, but they, it hasn't been around that long you know, 30, maybe 40 years at the high end. <clears throat> anyway, if it had something to do with Jesus or Republican politics, it was there, Williams told me. He worked at a family Christian store in the Detroit area for from approximately 2006 to 2009. Stores took various approaches to doctrinal strictness, but given that they were for-profit businesses, most erred toward as much ecumenicalism as their audiences would allow. As Williams put it, they had John MacArthur next to Joel Osteen, which was hilarious. Both are prominent evangelical pastors, but the former has been sharply critical of the latter. Well, Joel Osteen isn't a pastor. He's a speaker. He's a life coach. He actually said that. <laughs> and he's a positive, uplifting kind of dude with nice hair, by the way. Anyway, Growing up, William's Baptist parents had encouraged him to shop at Christian stores because the merchandise had effectively been pre-screened for safety. No curse words, no sexual contact. It was my B. Dalton, my Sam Goody, he said. It was where I got my pop culture. The Christian publishing industry and its distribution arm in Christian bookstores plays a central role within evangelical culture, even for those who don't read Christian books. Since evangelicalism has no central authority, the publishing industry's self-defined borders have a huge impact on the people, ideas, and practices that get publicly promoted and eventually accepted as, quote, true, unquote, Christianity. Publishers have been really central to granting authority within evangelical culture and for evangelical celebrities to be created. Yeah, there has been, you know, evangelical celebrities. Anyway, <clears throat> said Daniel Vaca, a historian at Brown University, whose book Evangelicals Incorporated, Books in the Business of Religion in America, will be published later this year. I should get that book. Publishers have provided a cultural center for evangelicalism. The bookstores have long served as one of evangelical culture's few internal gatekeepers. When, for example, Christian bookstores promoted The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, that stamp of approval meant more than a suggestion that readers might enjoy the book. It also meant that it is theologically sound, that it is in some sense true, and that's in quotes. 
The publisher of The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven yanked the book from shelves as soon as the boy, quote unquote, renounced it as a fraud in 2015. But just as importantly, Lifeway announced a few months later that it had stopped selling all experiential testimonies about heaven on theological grounds. The genre has withered since then. And I can tell you from my perspective, because we reported on that way back then too, for me, if, when I looked at the press stuff that I would get as far as like the, the top 100 Christian books and stuff, that tells you where people are spiritually because the crap that they're buying that is theologically unsound, that explains why the Bible isn't being taught very well because if it was, people wouldn't be buying, buying this I stuff. It does tell, it's a little bit of both. It just says the, the former philosophy we're looking about with a yeah. with, uh, gender dysphoria and and uh shooting up kids with hormones it <clears throat> you know it was something fueled from academia and yeah. then and then all sorts of things going on marketing evil I prepared a culture to say well they're they're the experts they should know <laughs> let my children decide everything about their lives um similar as it was discussed you know the historian from brown university you know, the uncentralized, it's not a denomination, just the publishers, they publish whatever they want to. And there's this assumption that it's been screened, you know, that it is theologically or whatever. Uh, and they're just putting it out there. That's one thing. But as you say, if if people were, you know, if if believers were grounded theologically, they would soundly reject it. Well, you know, what's interesting is even in the history of Christian radio, so-called, Christian radio, the history of Christian radio is interesting because it goes back to pastors having their sermons there on radio. Right. Just like... They were published in the newspapers. That's right. That's exactly what I was just going to say. It wasn't until uh, talk radio came into the... The the point the purview of the people that is you know they oh the broadcast oh they want news okay we'll get somebody from a quote Christian perspective to talk about it that's kind of what I do but it also led into the music arena too and Christian music as you know if you followed it for decades like we have has radically changed you know that's why I don't play most most current Christian music because it's it doesn't appeal to me. I'm an old fogey, I guess. But anyway, let me finish this article. I know we're going to go over a little bit of ha- <clears throat> a little bit of time. Okay, the article Ruth Graham writes continues. Sometimes that gatekeeping looks silly or even harmful. In 2016, Lifeway stopped carrying books by best-selling writer Jen Hatmaker after she announced she now supports same-sex relationships. When the chain declined to carry a book by prominent Christian writer Rachel Held Evans in 2012, she lamented the chokehold that Christian bookstores have on Christian publishing. Uh, by the way, she just died recently. Her own publisher encouraged her to leave out a cheeky use of the word vagina in that book in an attempt to conform to Lifeway's unwritten content standards. The publisher wasn't just being fussy. It told Evans that she could expect 40% of the book sales to come from Christian bookstores. In the end, Lifeway opted not to carry the book for reasons that remain unclear, but it became a bestseller anyway. When the organization announced it was closing its stores this spring, Evans, who died unexpectedly in May, called it good news for writers of faith in Christian publishing because writers will no longer have to conform to Southern Baptist culture and theology to sell books. No one is mourning the opportunity to buy 
Jesus junk in person, but Christian bookstores did more than sell garbage and suppress dangerous books. They also served as discovery centers for books slightly outside their readers' comfort zones. Exploration like that can happen online, obviously, but on Amazon, at least, there's little sense of the kind of informed curation that Christian bookstores uh, owners perform. They're also fakes. Christianity Today reported this week that Amazon has sold 240,000 uh, 240,000 worth of counterfeit copies of the 2016 Christian bestseller Liturgy for the Ordinary. You might come into a Christian bookstore for a book that reaffirmed your beliefs, but you'd encounter another one that stretched them. As an employee of Family Christian, Williams used his store discount to explore books from edgier writers like Rob Bell and Donald Miller, who led him to ask important questions about his faith and ultimately strengthened it. Without reading those books, he said, I might have abandoned my faith instead of allowing it to shift and change. The reason I bring this up is this. With the decline of Christian bookstores carrying solid biblical things, including scripture, like an actual Bible, and the move that has been subtle to buy online through places like Amazon in particular is what I'm thinking. Can you imagine a day when Amazon says, you know, I'm kind of sick of selling this Christian stuff, and they begin to ban it? I can imagine that day because that day is here. That day is here. Stephen Black, who was in here earlier, uh, you know, Ann Polk, others who have ex-gay testimonial books that they have written, Amazon refuses to sell them anymore. <clears throat> um, and I'm sure that there are other books out there. And that day is coming. That day is coming when Christian Christianity, as we know it today, that we have been raised in for the last 50 years, let's just say, you know, it will not be the America that I grew up in. It's not the America. <clears throat> I mean... That America, 30 years ago, 40 years ago almost, when I got saved, that does not exist. When when you can't go to a Christian bookstore and get a book, when you can't go to a stinking library and have a normal person read your kid a book, that should tell you something, people. <laughs> that should tell you something. And it should scare you. It, it not, a, not in a bad way, but in a way that hopefully will motivate you to go, you know what? I am going to get some of these books. You know, one of my, I have a, um, one of the people I follow on Instagram, one of the things that she does, <clears throat> she goes to estate sales and she, she goes through all the libraries that these people have at these big estate sales and she grabs these old books and, um, and then she sells them on Instagram. And I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I had asked about, do you have a dictionary still, you know? Um, part of the reason I asked that was because everything's so digital, di digitized, you know, what better way to destroy a culture than to destroy the history of the culture through writing and books. That's why they burned things in the olden days, you know, book, you know, you ever wonder what was burned that we never have a record of, you know, and yet somehow that Bible that we have miraculously preserved people, um, <laughs> Because God will never, ever, 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 like, you know, make it where his word will be destroyed. Because it won't be. 
Um, but, you know, we should be wise as serpent, innocent as doves, hide his word in our hearts so that we don't sin against him and, you know, and, and be meditating on his word as much as we can. And if we have access to children, feeding them God's word, theologically sound stuff, not this fluffy stuff that isn't going to do anything for them. And just realize that that, you know, my dad will be 91 Wednesday, you know, and I've been thinking a lot about older people because I live in that world with my father. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, 91, 91 years is a long time to live, you know, 91, you know, what has my dad seen in 91 long years on life? You know, I talk about this all the time with the elderly men that I eat lunch with frequently, um, you know, and they talk about how different the world is. It is really different. I'm only 50. You know, if God gives me 91 years, that means I got 41 years to, to live, <laughs> you know, to get to that age. Well, hopefully the rapture will take place by then. But in 41 years, will there be Christian broadcasting left? Will the new world order have taken over by then? The Antichrist be right? I mean, if that has, if that happens by then, which I probably will, it's my guess, then I won't be here anyway. But, you know, it has to happen at some point right? You ban the godly ideas and all that. It will go underground, just like in China, North Korea, etc. But you know what? You can't chain God up. And he's already one. But he called us to be his ambassadors. So, you know, all I can do is encourage you to um, suit up, armor up, you know, and as my pastor said tonight, ask tonight, do you love the Lord more today than you did when you first got saved? And if not, why? And, you know, if you're kind of, you know, lost your first love, then pray and ask God to help you to get back to that first love. Because there may be a day when you're not going to have access to a Bible. There may be a day when the government comes and tries to confiscate your Bible. You know, there may be a day. Maybe it will be in our lifetime. Maybe it won't, um, but there could be. You never know. So I want to end the show by uh, thanking you all for joining us. I know it's been a long evening and a long weekend. It's been a good weekend, though. I hope you enjoyed the, the shows that we did. Um, I may do a little Periscope on Wednesday on my dad's birthday just for fun. So you might stay tuned for that. But I will be sending you text messages on my text message list. By the way, I should tell you, uh, if you haven't joined that yet, uh, text the term Bible News to 33222. If you have a cell phone that can get text messages, you'll hear from me every day. And um, if you need anything else, just feel free to get in touch with me any other way. And I'll do the best I can to get back to you. So I hope... Um, you have a good week, and I hope you remember to be bold, stand up, people. Really, stand up. And you know what? I know for me, I'm going up to the library this week. I'm going to see what's going on. <laughs> and um, go with God because he loves you. And I love you too, Denise. Guys, love you too, Melanie, everybody else. And we'll see you soon. <laughs>